It's a first for the Timbers! I'm just so proud of this team. One game, one expert, and then on to the next one. I'm Richard Farley, and this is the Post Match Podcast. Record. Um, so John Arnold is back on the show. Everybody should know him by now, but if you don't, that means you're a new listener, so thank you. Uh, John is best known probably for his work at Goal.com, but a lot of people know him for his contributions to the BBC's World Football Phone-In, where he is the CONCACAF correspondent. What is your Brazilian shirt name? Uh, it's Neymar. Neymar, like the horse oh, sound, because it? I'm from Texas, and, and that's a pun on the Brazilian soccer player Neymar. Oh, that could have been worse, but that's pretty bad. Could have been better. <laughs> and John is also the host of American Soccer Now's podcast, a nice little 10-bit burst of information every once in a while. That's what this show was originally supposed to be, but we tend to go half an hour on this one. Uh, we're going to break our conversation up into two parts. We're going to talk about Mexico and the United States, their performances at Cobo America, because John has established expertise in both worlds, and I want to leverage that. Let's start with Mexico, John. It'd be nice to break down every game of the tournament, talk about progress, where they were good, where they were bad. That's kind of dumb after the 7-0 <laughs> loss to Chile because that's hanging over it all. Really, everything that came before that doesn't matter. Uh, and we need to talk about the ramifications of that. Dust has settled a little bit. We know Osorio is going to stay. What else should we be taking from the aftermath of that? Um, is it an exaggeration to call it a program-altering loss? I think it probably is a bit of an exaggeration just because... It seems like the program is going to keep going in the direction it was, which I think is a good thing. I yeah, mean, look, it's good. obviously, like, you don't want to lose 7 0. You don't want to lose by any margin, but you certainly don't want to lose by a lopsided one. Um, but I think when you look at what Osorio had done in the previous games, and just the fact that, like, we've almost never seen a Mexico manager with continuity, at least in recent memory. Chepo de la Torre won the Gold Cup, and then he was pretty abysmal during World Cup qualification. Uh, they fired him, and now after that we've seen multiple different managers <laughs> go for multiple different reasons. So, I mean, when you look at Osorio, I think he's just on a different a different plane. Like, he clearly does have a project. He clearly does have an idea, and I'm not sure that you can say that about other Mexico managers, or perhaps that's why they're a little more disposable, you know? I think if... You know, Osorio had had even one defeat, maybe. You know, maybe even you look at like a pre-tournament friendly, like a game they played against Chile. Okay, they weren't good in that game, but they ended up winning one nil. I wonder, you know, if they had lost that game when Mexico said, "Well, that's two losses, you're out." But the fact that he was totally undefeated in the ten games before that uh, calamitous disaster of a game in Santa Clara makes you think, well, this guy was clearly doing something right. Hopefully, for Mexican Federation, you know, they're saying, I guess this was an anomaly. Uh, obviously, if they lose a couple more games, if they don't finish qualification perfect, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes. But for now, I mean, it seems like uh, he's still the guy. And, and I think that's probably a good thing just from, from what we had seen before that uh, quarterfinal. Yeah, everything about a 7-0 loss, where five in the, of those goals come after halftime, and I believe four of them came pretty quickly after halftime, it was such an anomalous game. So anomalous that we forget that Mexico had a very impressive 3-1 win to start the, or 2-1 win to start the tournament. No, it ended up being 3-1, right? 3-1, over, 3-1. Over, over Uruguay, a team that a lot of people were reasonably picking to win that group. Uh, I went the other direction. I actually picked Mexico to win this whole tournament, partly because I believe they were 22 games unbeaten coming into this tournament, um, or that might have been the number they got to before the 7 that, Yeah, that was their final. That was their final tally. So right. that's, that's an amazing run, and I don't think one 7-0 loss should overshadow that. Uh, the game was just so strange that 
I don't really know that there's even anything you can take out of it other than maybe look for some mental fragility in this team going forward, some mental fragility yeah. that wasn't apparent before that game. Well, I mean, I think when you watch the game, and, and I actually want to go back and watch it again it's, it's in its entirety, which um, makes me much different than any other person that follows Mexican soccer, I think. But, um, <laughs> you know, it was 2-0 at the half, and like you said, Rich, a lot of those goals came out after the second, uh, after the halftime break. I think that with Osorio, you know, he, he makes so many tactical changes. I think that they went to the locker room, they had their new strategy, and then Vidal finds... You know, he just kind of uh, beats, I can't remember who it was, but beats someone to a ball, kind of stretches his entire body out, uh, finds Alexis Sanchez. Sanchez puts away an easy goal. I think that was the 49th minute. So, you know, you're you're four four minutes into the second half, and there goes your entire tactical plan that you just talked about at halftime. I didn't see any, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said, oh, that was the moment. You know, I saw everyone's shoulder slump or head, you know, bow. But I think that when you go and look back at it, that was the straw that broke the, the camel's back, so to speak, in that I think that after that, it was pretty much, okay, right, we're not coming back and winning this game. And then I think Chile absolutely, obviously, kept the foot on the gas still. So what can you take from it? Like you said, I, I think maybe you look at some mental lapses before, but... <laughs> You know, I, you wouldn't expect that to happen again. I mean, Brazil is a team that, that obviously happened to in the World Cup, and you haven't really seen that kind of result from them, even though they've been disappointing. So I, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a game where I'm not going to throw it out. I think it's going to be something that Mexican fans will remember for a long time, Mexican team will remember for a long time, and probably for the better, because if they don't, if they do forget about that, you know, maybe there's another one around the corner. Eh, it makes Dos Acero seem pretty dumb now. It's like, okay, 2 nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're really proud of the 2 nothing. Okay, we're capable of worse. Uh, one thing that really has lingered as a point of discussion after the game is the role of Rafa Marquez because I think people reasonably think if Marquez had started that game and I think it was reasonable not to start him that game considering that he had gone back down to Guadalajara in the days before the match to celebrate the birth of his son uh, that he would have provided some of that mental edge some of that stability some of that leadership but also it just seemed like I agree with a lot of the criticism of Jesus Duenas in the uh, aftermath of the game. I just think Rafa Marquez kind of is still the best option of that position. Such a double-edged sword considering he's 37 years old. Yeah, I actually wrote a piece for you, Richard. You've probably tried to block this out, but but uh, I wrote a piece for you back at World Soccer Talk saying that Juan Carlos Osorio has a Marquez problem. You know, you can't just ditch this guy. The dude uh, has been, you know, a champion in multiple uh, different European leagues. He's been a champion in Mexico. He's the captain every time that, that he plays for Mexico because he's been around for so long. He has all this history. He's captain Mexico at uh, multiple World Cups. So, uh, you can't just kick the guy to the curb at the same time he's 37. But like you said, he was probably one of the, he absolutely was one of the best 11 players Mexico had. Probably was one of the top five players Mexico had at this tournament. Um, he's slower than he was. Um, but he he has lost his step, but I think his positioning has been really good. Yeah. I wasn't really convinced, honestly. Um, when I wrote that piece, it was about it was right when Osorio took over. It was right after the CONCACAF Cup. That was a game that Mexico won, but I almost think it was in spite of Marquez rather than because of him. But then, you know, in some of the pre-tournament, even in the qualifiers and some of the pre-tournament friendlies, and then in that first game against Uruguay, and even that game against Jamaica, you saw a little bit of his versatility that used to show back in the day, poking through, and you thought, eh, you know, maybe... 
maybe this is a guy that's still important to the team. With that said, you know, the United States, as I'm sure we'll get to, you know, you talk about like, oh, Jermaine Jones, oh, Clint Dempsey, like these guys are good, but they're getting up there. Well, okay, Marquez is 37. So, yeah. well, the, the, the similarities between Marquez and Jones are remarkable because they're yeah. both guys that allow you to play your best, uh, your best 11 right now, but they're both guys in an ideal situation. You would have somebody coming in that's younger that even if they're not as good right now can assume that role. And there's just nobody. There's nobody in the U.S. side that allows them to play a true two-man midfield the same way Jermaine Jones does. And there's nobody in the Mexico side that serves the same roles that Rafa Marquez does, as we found out against Uruguay. I mean, he is a step slower, but as the years go by, his pure knowledge of the game, you can see it in every single shift that he has. It's actually kind of cool to watch him, just the way that he can read play and always seem to be in the right place. Osorio tried to, and you know, Jurgen has tried people as well. Osorio tried to put in Diego Reyes, who plays mm-hmm. uh, Real Sociedad. You know, he's kind of the, he's expected to be kind of the next Marquez. He's played in defensive midfield as Marquez did, also plays a center back as Marquez does. Um, but, you know, he wasn't quite there. I mean, it, it, the thing is that, you know, as Klinsman will tell you, and, you know, this is one thing that he keeps saying and saying that I actually believe is that we need to find these young blood guys, these young players to come through and replace the older players. And if the older players are still better, well, we're not going to throw a young guy in there just for the sake of him being young. Right. That's that's kind of what Osorio ran to, I think. He gave Reyes a chance in uh, the friendly against Chile. He gave Reyes a chance in a couple other other games. We've seen him play him a couple times, but each time it's clear that, well, you know, while he's not a total an outright disaster. Uh, he's not ready to play in defensive midfield because he's, I, you know, he's played some for his club at defensive midfield, but I think he's more comfortable as a defender. That's where he played with America before he moved to Europe as well. Um, so he's not an outright disaster, but he just doesn't look very comfortable. I think that's why he puts in Duenas in that game against Chile. Duenas, a player who, you know, didn't have a good tournament at all. He played in one other game um, as well and didn't really look up for it. Um, but, but what other choice do you have? You know, you had to do something and you had already decided that Reyes wasn't the answer. Uh, Marquez at his age after that kind of travel, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that Marquez, you know, he's not a player that's a seven goal difference maker. Yeah. They might've looked a little better, but Chile was far superior in that game. So they need somebody to supplant, to, to supplant him. Reyes could be that guy, but he's got to get a lot better, a lot faster because it's just not coming through right now. Yeah, let's talk about in goal because the rotation stopped before the Chile game. Guillermo Ochoa assumed the number one spot that for a lot of people they wanted that. He still remains a fan favorite. For other people, they thought Alfredo Talafera would be the number one. And a lot of people, when you have a seven goal result, they either are giving him a pass or maybe being a little bit too harsh on him. I don't think he's the difference in this game either. But going forward, does it even matter if Ochoa settles on a number one? Because to me, although... A goalkeeper rotation is not ideal. I'm not sure that one of these goalkeepers is so much better than the others that there is a clear number one. No, and he's going to keep rotating. People, after every single match and before every single match, someone used the precious time to ask, you know, we have 15 minutes with the managers, and Osorio likes to talk. He speaks in English and Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, not the same, you know, he'll, he'll give an answer in English and it'll be translated. And then, uh, like Oscar Pereira for FC Dallas, as we've talked about on the show before, he gives his answer in English and then in Spanish. And so that takes forever. But so anyway, someone used our precious time to ask, you know, Professor Osorio, do you plan to uh, pick a goalkeeper for this game or are you going to continue your rotation? And he said, again, I repeat, I reiterate, I say to you again, I tell you again, whatever, whatever his phrasing was, mm-hmm. 
we are going to pick the goalkeeper that we believe is the best suited to play against this style of team. Uh, they, they, I think, rightly think that Ochoa is better with his feet than any of the other, other options they have. If they have a game plan that's going to rely on them moving the ball around the back line and having a player come out a little bit more of that goal mouth, it's going to be Ochoa. They think, I believe correctly again, that Talavera is probably a little bit better in the air. If a team is very good in the air, relies on set pieces to score, I think we'll see Talavera. Corona, I was surprised to see him start against Venezuela. I don't really think that he has anything on either of those two goalkeepers. Yeah. But... You know, he's a change of pace. He gives, you know, a kind of a complete, completes the cycle, right? Um, gives you three different players in three group games. I don't think it matters. I think that Talavera and Ochoa are both really good goalkeepers. They're both, uh, you know, world class is a weird term, but certainly CONCACAF class, right? They're, they're among the best goalkeepers that you could pick in this region. And, um, you know, at some point, I think you, it's kind of, yeah, maybe you want that consistency, but with the way an international team plays, and especially the way Osorio um, wants to approach these games, um, you know, maybe it's nice that Ochoa flies across the Atlantic and gets to play a game every now and then, and maybe it's nice that Talavera, uh, you know, at, at his sign of advanced age, kind of a late bloomer, uh, is able to is able to get in there. Well, he's not old for a goalkeeper, no. but I'm just saying he wasn't in the national team picture, and now I think he's 30 or 31. So he's finally kind of getting minutes. I mean, I don't know. I don't have a problem with it. The Mexican press is obsessed with it, and I get it. I mean, it is weird, kind of, but um, no, they're going to keep rotating, and it doesn't matter. They're both great goalkeepers. Okay, the one other area of the team that I want to talk about, because we could talk about the central defenders and where Diego Reyes fits in there, but I think the wide attackers in the 4-3-3 is what I really want to talk about. Chicharito, of course, is going to be the starter going forward in the middle, understood. Oribe Peralta will be his understudy. But there's such a wealth of talent at the wide positions that this is always going to be a source of debate. So you've got Tecotito, who started on the left side. Uh, Jesus Manuel, Manuel Corona seems like he's kind of locked down his spot there. Certainly his goal in the tournament was a highlight for Mexico. But you've got a lot of other options to start on the other side. People wanted to see Raul Jimenez start on the right. Irving Alonzano uh, started on the right against Chile. You've also got other talented players like Javier Aquino or even players like Jurgen Dam or somebody like Agio Dos Santos or Carlos Vela who are always going to be in the conversation. Is this another case where the depth doesn't really matter or do we need some continuity of those spaces? So like a lot of people are talking about with Orozco's constant tinkering, you can get some, some benefit of the chemistry that comes from playing regularly. I think it's not so much about consistency. It's about one of those players who you mentioned um, really putting their stamp on the role. I think that, you know, as you mentioned, maybe maybe Tecatito, his Corona has kind of done that on the left side. I think that the challenge is is that none of those guys who you listed, and they're all they're the options, you know, you've, you've done well to list those options. Uh, none of those guys are going to just get forward and pump balls into Chicharito. So they have to kind of figure out how to play with him. I mean, he's a really talented forward. He's, he's really good at what he does. And I think he's expanded a game a lot in ways that people maybe haven't given him credit for. You know, when you look at how he was scoring goals for Bayer Leverkusen, it wasn't just these poster goals that he had this reputation for. It wasn't that he always needs service needed service. So I, I think he's improved individually, but you still have to figure out how to play off of him. And I don't think any of those guys, you know, th- those guys are all in different kind of roles in the club team. Aquino and Lozano do play as, as out and out wingers. So, I mean, I think that they, both of them showed flashes. They're both, you know, Aquino is 26. He had a European stint that didn't go that well. He's back at Tigres, but Lozano's 20. He got the whole world in front of him. I mean, they're both still, you know, very much 
they haven't reached their ceiling yet, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. So I think mm-hmm. both of them are good options, and I think they both showed good things in the tournament. But they also both showed bad things in the tournament. I mean, they both had moments where you're just kind of like, whoa, like, what are you doing? What's going on? You know, it, it didn't seem like they really understood what they were being asked at times. I don't think that's on Osorio just because of how much preparation he does seem to put into the game. Maybe it's too much information for some of those guys. But you look at the other players that seem to be adapting to the new roles. You look at a guy like Miguel Ayun, who, you know, normally plays at left back. He was fine at right back. He was fine in the middle. Andres Guardado, interior, exterior, it doesn't matter. He still played a pretty good part. So I think, it, you know, the individuals clearly can understand what Osorio is asking for them from them. Um, but I'm not sure that those guys are really able to execute uh, with any regularity. So I think it's less about finding the same guy to put there every time, but maybe finding more individual consistency where if one player plays well in one game, maybe he plays well in the next game as well that he's asked to play in. Um, they didn't have any of that. I, I thought that, that that was a position that was weird because they're very talented. They're stacked there. But it didn't seem to come off. It didn't seem to come together. And that's a pretty crucial part of, of whatever system Osorio is playing or, or, excuse me, whatever formation he's playing in that same system that he uses where, where getting wide is, is everything. He's just obsessed with the wings. <laughs> and, and, and he should be. You know, with this team, it's smart. It's great. It, it yeah. should work. But, but not if it doesn't come together with, with, with some of those guys, with the Lozano. Who, I, look, he's 20. I think this was a, was a big, big ask of him, especially the game against Chile. I thought he was ready. I'm a little hesitant now. I'm not sure I'll throw him into the mix right away. Jurgen Dam was injured for this tournament. He's a great option, um, who's also a really young player. So, I, it, yeah, like we've talked about, Mexico doesn't lack for wing talent, but um, something was missing this tournament. I think every single one of those players would probably start for the United States. Yeah, and they just can't find the right combination. Like instinctively, I kind of suspect with Tecatito kind of locking it down on the left and Layun overlapping, I kind of want somebody like Jimenez on the right that can attack that post a little bit and give you two presences in the box as you build down the left. But Jimenez, although he's had some flashes, he hasn't really grabbed it and locked it down either. Like you said, uh, there's just a bunch of guys there who are showing flashes, aren't really having great games and forcing anybody's hand. So it'll be interesting if somebody can take those reins in qualifying and really solidify this team going into the hex. Uh, even if they do, who knows? Osorio might still keep finding <laughs> new reasons to play around. Okay, before we move to the yes, just one question. Oh, not one question, but kind of like a, a true or false. Mexico is still the best team in CONCACAF, and the only, the only thing that can derail them is Mexico itself. Um, I think true. I think true. I think you saw a good U.S. team, but still a U.S. team that if Mexico had the same path that the U.S. had, I think they would have probably made it to the semifinals as well and also lost to Argentina. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you've seen, as much as I like Costa Rica, as much as I realize this wasn't necessarily the best that Costa Rica has to offer with Kayla Navas injured, with Giancarlo Gonzalez staying out of the tournament, with a couple other players not playing, I think they've fallen off since the 2014 World Cup a little bit. So, I mean, I, I mean, those are really only the three contenders. So I think, yeah, Mexico's its own biggest enemy, and maybe they've taken a step uh, in the right direction, at least from the outside looking in, for you know, trying to continue the same project. Yeah, absolutely. Usually changing coaches for them opens up a trap door. So even if they aren't climbing as much as they want right now, I don't think they've uh, set a pe- uh, pitfall for them by switching coaches. If you want to get in touch with the show, look up our page on SoundCloud.com. We're really trying to funnel everybody there. And if you leave a comment on one of the podcasts, I guarantee you I will respond to it. If you don't want to go to SoundCloud, hit me up on Twitter at at Richard Farley. 
and I'll be sure to get back to you and answer your feedback about these early shows. And if you want to be on the show, if you're one of my friends out there that I've met over the years that's still covering these games, just drop me a DM and drop me an email and we can get you on the show as soon as possible. The whole point of all this is to talk to you some more. If we get a few listeners along the way, the more the merrier. Both songs that you heard on this podcast are available at freemusicarchive.org where you can get all kinds of free music for your audio projects. The opening song is by a band called Monk Turner, and it's part of this huge rock opera based on Greek gods. It's Zeus's song, and it's called Oh Yes You Will. And then the song you're hearing under my words right now, it's from Tigerberry. It's called Get Out DCV. Pretty emo stuff. 